the way they did this was by um, radiocarbon dating some dirt that they pulled from the inside of the pyramid that they claimed was or um, human-made organic material when it super isn't. Mm. Yeah, and it turns out that the dirt, the dirt that the hill is made out of, is twenty-four thousand years old. That's so crazy. Everyone knows dirt was invented six thousand years ago by Jesus. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and I'm joined by Red. In continuation of the bit, I made sure to have a weird drink today. Uh, I've been figuring out how to copycat those bottled Starbucks mocha fraps. Uh, it involves making like a mocha syrup with a startling amount of sugar. I also recently made a uh, marshmallow fluff, so I've decided nice. to combine pleasures. This is an extremely sugary beverage. <laughs> I don't know if it's the caffeine or the sugar that's going to wake me up, but so I feel like we're edging happen. on this becoming the a dice new it'll... recurring <laughs> segment where Red just tells us about her drink at the top of the show. It's been every episode. If we make it too much of a bit. Well, I'm gonna need to start like up in the game if we if we make it an official thing. Getting more ridiculous drinks just to feel something, and we're joined by our friend Adam, uh, host of Ludo History. Thanks so much for jumping on the podcast with us today. Hello, hello. My my drink game is not particularly strong. It's just apple cider, but that's November. What else am I gonna drink? I that's, did that last that's time. That's great. Yeah, that's yeah. a fantastic option. I've got some, uh, some tea that I made this morning and warmed up before the pod. But we're, we're here to talk not about just our drinks. Um, although, you know, by uh, like this time two years from now, it'll be mostly just our drink orders and like five minutes of video discussion. <laughs> Remember, uh, kids, when you're going to record, don't drink lactose heavy beverages that uh, gum up your throat. Unless you're me and don't care. So... <laughs> R.I.P. to those other people, but I'm different. So, Red, yeah, exactly. tell us about, uh, this is a, a, a rather super quality you have of being able to drink these <laughs> kinds of beverages and and uh, and go off. Uh, did you go to a school for this? Wow. Very elegant. <laughs> Fabulous. Segment. Reach through the screen and slap me. I dare you. <laughs> All right. We got it. Ah, fuck. How did you do that? <laughs> the delay was because of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> oh, you'll, you'll feel that in a minute. There's lag. Um. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, so my video for the last couple of weeks, bi-weekly, not that bi-weekly, it's either bi-weekly, was uh, the Trope Talk on Super Schools, which was, um, I had a lot of fun. It was a little bit weird by Trope Talk standards because it was a lot less like, here are the multitudinous ways that this trope can be like bent to your will and a little bit more like, step one, uh, needlessly complicated tests to get in. Step two, meet your new best friend. Step three, meet the bully harassing your new best friend. Step four, get detention somehow. I don't know. It was just very funny. I mean, this um, is basically a soft sequel to the hero's journey trope talk in terms of structure. Where it's like, this is not like a space of different kinds of archetypes. This is an archetype and we're going to walk through how yeah. it works. <laughs> much yeah. like school itself, it's a very rigid structure that yeah. doesn't bar, uh, bear much flexibility. And the funny thing is it, loosely, it's kind of my sister's fault. Uh, Magenta's been watching through the various Yu-Gi-Oh sequels. I keep telling her it's a waste of time. Only the first Yu-Gi-Oh is even, you know, halfway fun. Uh, this Red, is a can I just stop take. you for a quick second to elaborate on that point where we were getting tea at one point where uh. we were all hanging out together <laughs> and you two were going off about which Yu-Gi-Oh is the cool one for an hour, but please oh, resume. This is why it's dangerous to let us be in the same room. Um, but yeah, she keeps trying with the Yu-Gi-Oh sequels, 
and every time she's like, wow, they've got some really interesting setup. And then she's like, I hit episode seven and it got bad. And I'm like, I know it does that every time. Um, but of course, she was watching GX, which she insists is better in the sub. Uh, that do- that doesn't surprise me. But like insists is good in the sub, which I think is a bald faced lie. Um, but of course, GX, as we all know, clearly, because I used it as an example in the video, is set in a school. And I was like, oh, wow, uh, did uh, he meet his wimpy best friend yet? Have they already uh, taken the unreasonably skewed test that we know he's going to succeed because otherwise the plot doesn't happen? And she was like, yeah, that happened a few episodes ago. <laughs> and as I was sort of just like rattling off shit that I knew had to happen, having not seen a single goddamn episode of GX, I was like, is there something here? that I should do something with other than just dunking on my sister's bad taste in anime. Um, And uh, I just kind of started writing down big beats and then I was like, okay, how much does this model apply to other super school shows and stories and stuff like that? And I was running through the examples. I was like, yeah, they all do that. Some of them do this. A bunch of people noticed that there was a lot of uh, Gundam the Witch from Mercury in this. I watched it recently, enjoyed it quite thoroughly. Uh, it's It's the Tempest, but with lesbians and giant robots. There's no... Bad, bad things about that. It was great. Um, uh, Shakespeare's like, damn, if only I'd thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> Could have made this so much spicier. Um, but yeah, it, it was one of the, um, as I understand it, it was the only Gundam show that was like, we're going to do a school format. And everyone was like, oh, they're doing the school format. I was like, see, everyone knows about the school format. Everyone already has ideas about what the school format looks like. So let's actually just split it open and look at what's in there and, and what it means. Um, there were a a bunch of examples that I didn't touch on, uh, some of them because, uh, I had not actually seen the property in question to the degree that I could include it. Uh, I did actually do the homework required of like watching like a full season of Winx Club so that I felt okay, including it in the show. Uh, yeah. I did catch that. I'm like, that's Winx Club. (laughs) I thought I was losing my mind because I watched some of it like on one of the official streaming sources. Uh, and then when I was getting footage, I found what it was apparently, a different version. Uh, also I, on one of the official streaming sources. Of course, yes, as we all know, very, very official. And I was going through it and I was like, am I losing my mind? This sound like it wasn't good before, but this feels worse. And then I hit the point where I was like, no, I knew it. The the cyber fairy, she didn't have that accent before. Something's going on. Uh, and apparently there's like two different dubs of it uh, and neither one is completed. So that was interesting to learn. Um, yeah, uh, I do want to, were... on the subject of examples, I want to give you the credit, which a lot of people caught, of the mm-hmm. one example you pointedly did not use. <laughs> yeah. I'll let uh, you say it. <laughs> the, the franchise that shall not be named, as we all know, Harry Potter. Uh, I It was very obvious. I, honestly, at that point, like, most of that is because, eh, fuck him. You know, <laughs> if, if J.K. Rowling is, is taking, uh, continuing to be a fan of her work as supporting her shitty politics, uh, then I will gladly uh, cut that loose. But mostly, I didn't even need to. Everyone our age who, like, would make that connection already knows absolutely every plot beat that the, the story hits that I talk about in the video. It's like, you can't even make the argument that like, oh, she's clearly talking about Hogwarts and just like talking about everything else. Like, I'm talking about all of these things. Hogwarts just hits every single beat because it's not a particularly creative example of this particular trope. Um, yeah. But yes, I, I, uh, I'm glad people noticed. <laughs> I will say the property I was surprised I didn't see any references to was not a single Dimension 20 gif. 
I was considering it. The thing is, it's I've used like Critical Role and Dimension 20 as examples in a couple videos. It's just hard to use as footage because it's not the most visually descriptive uh, storytelling medium. I usually have to go in and subtitle everything just to make it clear what I'm talking about. Because otherwise, it's just a bunch of people on a screen, like yeah. barely moving and sometimes face reacting to stuff. It's a um, fantastic example, and maybe there's some variety of like using the battle maps and like showing the minis, but even then, it's mm. a, a little divorced from the context. Yeah, I, like I wish that all of the D and D podcasts we liked had um, uh, like a Vox Machina equivalent, so that this yeah, like here's the animated show. show that we can just go watch. Yeah, yeah just just hammer it out, guys. How how long did that take? <laughs> um, the uh, the one other example, I, mean, I live with her, we're all like, there's one example, and it's this one. But there was one example that I considered looking into and then decided not to, uh, which was Ruby. A lot of people mm. pointed out Ruby's a super school. Ruby's set in a super school for the first three seasons. Then it has the big crisis. Then it has the kids going out. I have never watched more than a single episode of Ruby, um, and I didn't want to change that. <laughs> you know, that's fair. My exposure to Ruby is H-Bomber guy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I I really respect the hustle. I think that, like, the work that went into it, the idea of just, hey, we've got, like, a team of, like, five people. Let's try and just make the anime we want to see. I think that's incredibly cool. Doesn't mean I want to watch it. Just means I'm kind of cool. It's cool that it exists. Um, But also, there's this neat thing I can do with the trope talk where, like, if there's an example where people are like, hey, you didn't put in this thing that's a really good example. It's like, ah, but you thought of it you made the connection it's working so uh so th this is actually good video essay design on my part oh yeah it's making you think you're welcome and the comments drive engagement uh the hey, one thing i do well. want to point out is that when you were talking about the right what you know how mm -hmm. the author is like ah, oh, yes i broke my arm on a ski trip ah, oh, yes i love tea and scones i'm like wait a minute that's just you well yeah i gotta write what i know too <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, on the subject of broadening one's horizons and not just writing what you know. Uh, yeah, so this, uh, this video of mine also kind of came about in the process of, of talking, like, extracurricularly about just stuff on my mind. It was like, mm -hmm. wait a minute, this is... This should be a video. And this is actually, Adam, a conversation that we were having in part as <laughs> we were doing some of the initial like thinking through of um, uh, the the history background for Assassin's Creed Mirage. The, yeah. the big like centerpiece thing in that game is really the house of wisdom of like this, the one thing that everyone wants to go see. And of course, it is famously not around anymore. So there's this intrinsic mystery in it. And then we were talking about it. It's like... All right, we're, we're going to figure this out. There, there's going to be something <laughs> behind this. So we ended up doing um, some some discussions and uh, um, the the research process took me to like, okay, the Abbasid translation movement, some of the main scholars, and then getting to like what theoretically might the House of Wisdom actually have been like and what can we learn about that by way of looking at every other famous library in the Islamic world outside of Baghdad. So that was a, a really fun one where there's so much that we do know, but like looking at a lot of the ways that people talk about the Baghdad House of Wisdom, no one describes the physical structure. They're all talking no. about the activities going on in there. So finding <laughs> one particular space is very hard and you have to basically go like three centuries later or to Tunisia to be like, oh, here's what this maybe could have looked like. So. I had a lot of fun doing one of these more like investigative uh, style videos along the lines of like my Minoans, my Ghanaians ones. So it was yeah, it was a I, good time. I, I think it turned out really well. And I think right citing the Karoian in Morocco yes. as like the, the contemporary 
example that is like a university library, mm-hmm. I think works really well to give some vibe of just how magnificent that place has to had to have been. Yeah, and uh, Al Qadawi, in uh, for context, being the um, uh, ascribed in at least like Western Mediterranean world, the first university um, case can very easily be made for. Um, I think Taxila um, in uh, India. I want to say um, I forget the name exactly, but a couple people were saying like, oh, there's some other ones that maybe count as the first university. Um, but Al Qadawi, in being an institution, you can you can go see today. It's still there. It's still in mm-hmm. Fes. I've been um, there. It's it's yeah, super cool. Gorgeous. Um, but the, the the scale of educational and like um, literary repository spaces that existed in much smaller cities than Baghdad, um, uh, Kaidawan in Tunisia, um, another place in North Africa where that other giant like mosque complex was, a much smaller city than Baghdad still has this huge presence where they built something approximating a you know a giant uh, palatial library. The comparison of what you could have done in a place like Baghdad with all that money and power is just shocking to think about. Um, and it's it's cool to see that it, it, it wasn't limited to just one space. There's all these other places where whether people saw what they were doing in Baghdad and thought, oh, we should do that too. Or the, the, the thesis that I kind of take that after Baghdad did its whole thing with the library, every other aspiring small Muslim state is like, oh, well, if I want to be legit, I've got to do what they're doing. I got to get some books on hand. <laughs> I really like that reading, whether or not it's it's supported by all of the evidence and some of it we just can't really know. I, I like to think that that's true. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it broadly checks out. Um... Right. Like, even, you know, Baghdad gets obliterated in the mid-13th century by the Mongols. Yeah. Mm, And what is the first thing they do after obliterating the city is they start founding libraries in their own administrative centers. Yeah. Like, there's there's actually <laughs> like, a pretty minutes, enormous a learning mo- movement. Yeah. Yeah. It, oh I, I looked into a little bit of the correspondence between, I forgot the names of who exactly was in charge, but I think it was Hulagu and someone further back east, where he was like, look, I did this thing. And the guy who wrote back to him was like, you did fucking what <laughs> in Baghdad? <laughs> Are you telling me you're joking? Say psych right now. <laughs> no. So, um, yeah, and exactly. The, the first thing they do is like, oh, we're going to do this now, too. So it's a case of where, although, you know, the, the thing itself is lost, the idea that it stood for and the culture that it um, arose out of sticks around and transforms in other places. Um, so it's, it's a very different example from the Library of Alexandria, which is very much like, a, oh, it was this one thing and then it's gone. There were a million libraries in the classical world. Hmm. Um, I think the... Uh, the ideas behind what what Baghdad stood for with the the translation movement, not just collecting a bunch of stuff in Greek and Latin that everyone can read, but the idea of going to all these different places and bringing it all into one space, translating it into Arabic to make it into a pan-imperial thing that everyone can interact with. Um, the scholar, uh, oh God, um, who's the Nestorian Christian one? I'm getting them confused. Uh, who Was name Al- Ishak? Ishak is not, uh, yeah, uh, it's not, uh, it's not Al-Kindi, that's the other one. Uh, Hunayn ibn Ishak, um, the Nestorian Christian from basically Syria, uh, learned Arabic and then came to Baghdad and is like, oh, I can do this. And then was like one of the, the head translators in the, the House of Wisdom, paid for every book he translated in gold, the weight of the book in gold, which is so mm-hmm. fucking cool. Um, it's really neat to see the the cultural pluralism going on to make something like that possible, which is just 
like, on a civilizational level, so much more impressive to me than just, ah, yes, us Greek people took all of the books that we can all read anyway and threw them in one box. It, it represents a, a, a new kind of civilization that is really typified by the very, very cross-cultural world that um, uh, Islam created going between uh, Christians, uh, Jews, Muslims, Zoroastrians, uh, and it's just, it's damn cool. It's damn cool. Oh yeah, but by the way, uh, on that, uh, I do get the sense people probably underestimate just how much gold that actually is. Because right, mm -hmm. when you say book, right, it's like, oh, you know, a modern book, maybe a couple pounds if it's a pretty th big thing. No, 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 no. Hefty boy. No, no. The, the English translation for the main chronicle for Islamic history by Al-Tabari is 40 volumes at 300 pages <laughs> per volume oh boy right so smaller just... truncated guys abridge exactly. it damn it so they, these are literally thousands of pages long yeah uh for some of the big commentary works on like greek philosophy so like this is a fully comical amount of gold in addition uh, to their standing the salaries <laughs> yeah because they were paid a flat salary in addition to their commission damn. yeah it's it's staggering. There was so much work being done, not just to translate, but to create commentaries and, and make entirely new wisdom. And even as much credit as I was giving, a lot of people in the comments were like, no, there, there's even more than that that you didn't even get to talk about. I'm like, I know. <laughs> if I had much more time, I would have just talked about every single book that we have a record of, but... Uh -huh. um, pacing would not have uh, would not have accommodated that. Right, it's just, it's so damn cool. You you almost didn't even get to bring up like Al Khwarizmi. I almost I I kind of had to just Algebra move on. <laughs> yeah yeah Al Khwarizmi, um, uh, which uh, I don't remember exactly the the loop of of linguistic leaps to get from Al Khwarizmi to um, algorithm. Um, but of course you have Al Jabr and then algebra, which I yeah. think means it's not the calculations but like the completion. It's equal equalizing. Yeah the equalizing yeah. Um, even then, like, all Chris me, I, I just had to be like, if you know, you know, okay, we got to move on. <laughs> yep. Well, he, he is, by the way, to blame for your YouTube feed. You're, you, I'm not welcome. Yeah, the algorithm, <laughs> bless up to all Chris me. Yep. Yeah. But I'm, yep. I'm glad I got to talk about uh, other less known scholars like Al Kindi and uh, Hunayd ibn Ishaq. Uh, but there's just, there's so much to love. And the little bit of uh, architecture I did get to talk about with the uh, Mustan Syria Madrasa in uh, Baghdad from, from admittedly much later. That was definitely an inspiration for the design. Uh, of the House of Wisdom in Assassin's Creed Mirage, um, that much later style, uh, kind of tending towards like later Persian, even some Safavid flourishes you see in the, the House of Wisdom in game. But mm -hmm. oh well, um, stuff we could uh, could speculate on for for hours. But without uh, having the actual House of Wisdom, we'll, we'll only be able to guess. So, with all that said, uh, kind of talking about a little bit of some video game stuff. Uh, Adam, uh, could you briefly reintroduce your channel for uh, our audiences who might not be aware and talk about some of the games you've been playing lately? Some of the things you've been uh, looking into and learning about yeah yeah so uh ludo history is kind of like a cross-platform project i do sporadic video editing uh turns out i am very slow at that i've got something half done on please stop doing blasphemy video games i'm <laughs> begging you um but generally it's looking at like the intersection of media and history in a pretty wide range of forms so uh actually I've been trying to branch out recently, uh, my trainings in medieval studies, but then also cultural heritage. And so like I had a whole thing uh, stream and now working on a blog post uh, for a soon to launch website Ooh, uh, on just museum exhibits. 
right? So we're taking a look at museum exhibits that are available online, either, you know, digitize an exhibit, you go in, you take, do like photogrammetry of the whole space and you reconstruct it in 3D, or it's just born digital. Uh, so either like a Google Arts and Culture page, oh, yeah, uh, like what the Met does, or realistically just a well put together website. Yeah. Uh, what does it need to be good and what does the British Museum do extremely poorly about it? I was going to say, I, I did, like, in the beginning of the pandemic, when Google Arts and Culture was like, look at these online exhibits, the British Museum one is like, oh, this is, it's very flashy, but it's not great. Whereas the Met, by contrast, is, like, pretty simple, but really nice. <laughs> yeah. I will, in defense of the British Museum, a sentence I will never say again, uh, <laughs> when I was getting stuff for the Gilgamesh video, there... Digital, digitized archive of cuneiform and uh, assorted tablets. Pretty good. It's yeah. not. It's not terrible. No, yeah. the the British Museum's catalog the search is terrible, but like, is you know, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, their their online exhibition department. Yeah, <laughs> their <laughs> one. <laughs> like they they did this utterly bizarre thing of about probably a third of the museum is navigable. In Google Maps, Street View. Yeah, that's what huh. Sina and I were, were playing around with when we were it's, doing some of the... Uh, it's like, I guess it's neat, but that's not... It's not good. It's I, interesting. It's I not good. I see the logic, but good it doesn't effort. apply. <laughs> Turns yeah. out um, they don't have high enough resolution photography of their galleries <laughs> for you to read their labels. I mean, that makes sense. It's the Street the, View camera. Yeah, but there are museums that do. The Rijksmuseum, mostly. Mm. Uh, the Rijksmuseum is my favorite. They, they've been investing since 1995 uh, into digitization heavily. So they're the they're the best in the business. Um, when you went to Europe last year and you came back, we had a very long talk about which museums you liked the most. Will any of I those ones be getting, uh, getting billing in this new uh, series you're doing? Uh, not in the, that stream, uh, there wasn't any overlap just because I didn't get to go to a Rijksmuseum. Okay. Um, but the, did get to talk about, I guess, an exhibit that I went to in Cambridge. I looked at the National Gallery of Arts, a digitized version of the same exhibit because it was a traveling thing. Um, I also don't like it. I don't. I just don't like most of the digitization uh, tools. I just don't find they're quite quite navigable enough um and like vr ar things honestly feel over designed uh i'll be real <laughs> that, that's my conclusion is that ultimately i want the catalog quality image i want a well put together screen readable high contrast label and i want a link to help you find if the thing is on view in the physical museum so okay. that if you see something cool you can go look at it or you can go look at something similar to it so get to show off some collections but also like encourage people to go engage with their local cultural heritage resources that is really cool because that's super cool uh and that's kind of been the theme recently for my channel in general is just kind of broadening my horizons right Very look cool. at more stuff look at uh different time periods and try and get beyond just gains in history to look at more media and history. So yeah. it's a it's a busy time for the channel for just video game stuff, though. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, we just finished Mirage a couple weeks ago, uh, which was loads and loads of fun. 
But surprisingly fun. Surprisingly <laughs> fun. <laughs> uh, I just actually finished watching uh, just today. I went up uh, another history YouTuber, Bob Whitaker at History Respond, interviewed Blair Anderson, who's oh, the yeah, yeah. Uh, consultant, the primary consultant, and she was talking uh, and said, did an eight-week graduate seminar with Maxine Duran, Raphael Wayland, and other lead designers at Ubisoft Bordeaux. Wow. To get them ready for it. And that's that's far and away the most intense thing that, like, historical research thing that Ubisoft has done for an AC game. They absolutely have never done anything like that before, and it's cool (laughs) that they're doing it now. (laughs) Yeah, I know for Origins, they did something similar, but it was three days. Yeah. Not eight Eight weeks. weeks. Man, and boy does it show. Boy, oh oh, boy does it show. But yeah, like, coming up, we've also got, like, a game set in the Czechoslovak Legion's evacuation of Russia. Which is just a a true, the wildest true story. It is (laughs) what we, what's been termed, like, in my community, like, history side quest. Um, Because basically, right after World War I, this Czechoslovak Legion that was fighting as part of the Russian Empire, even though Czechoslovakia was part of Austria-Hungary, Right, uh, the Allies basically, or the Entente, uh, off guaranteed Czechoslovakia would become an independent state. World War One ends. Small problem: Bolshevik Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> so the Red Army and the White Army are busy beating the crap out of each other, and the Czechoslovak region is like, um, "Can can we go? Are we done here?" <laughs> and international diplomacy incident, and the solution they decide is that, yes, the Czechoslovak Legion can leave, but they can't go west because the Red Army is in the way. And so they take an armored train (laughs) across Siberia to a port city in Kamchatka where a British warship is waiting for them to sail them around through the Panama Canal back to Western Europe to go back to uh, Czechoslovakia. Jeez. And that's a video and game. We're getting a video game adaptation that releases next week. Wow. On that. That'll be that exciting. That is about the level of, like, complexity. Uh, do Quest A to unlock Quest B to unlock <laughs> Quest C to finally do the thing uh, that I expect from that kind of video game. This needs to be yeah. the level of complexity and camp of a Metal Gear game, and I'll be happy. Uh, it's there, there's the, There was a really long extended demo. Uh, there's a little bit of camp and a lot of dramatization. Good. Needs more yeah. camp. It's Very it's exciting. pretty good. Uh, and then there's another game I'm super excited for that's also set in early 20th century Russia. I don't know what the deal is, but I'm just saying if fans of early 20th century Russia rejoice. Eating well this we're winter. Dr- <laughs> we are eating well this video game season. <laughs> wow. This it's, was a it's really cool to good see year the, for video games. The, the, the current crop of, of historical games and media in general. I know um, history bros are going to be... Um, uh, drinking from the goblet of Napoleon for months. Oh God, uh, Ridley Ridley Scott made some statements. And oh it's boy, the funniest did he! Possible what? thing. I, like, I want to like Napoleon, but Ridley is doing himself no favors. <laughs> um, this is I and I quote: uh, "Historians were like, mm, we're not sure on the accuracy of this." And his response was, "Were you there?" No, then shut the fuck up. Wow. I love catching wind of drama. I have no stake in and have heard yeah. nothing about. It's a very Ridley Scott. 
statement uh but it was objectively extremely funny it's like he made gladiator and all the history boys being like oh i mean this is inaccurate but like it's still fun and i like what it's doing and he's like oh i can do whatever i want forever great (laughs) (laughs) oh boy he he did that duelist was before gladiator right uh, uh, the uh, the last duel that was uh, no the with... last duel is very recent, but the duelists. Uh, oh, then I have no as idea. Another like late eighteenth, early nineteenth century uh, military geez. historical drama uh, that is very very well liked. Gladiator, eh. Kingdom of Heaven, uh, yeah. <laughs> last duel, uh, yeah. And now Napoleon, Napoleon. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> oh, That's... Robin Hood. Everyone just oh god. oh god, he did Robin Hood. <laughs> he did, he did do uh, the Was super. That the one like... where they're all wearing Abercrombie and Fitch for some reason. Yes. Okay. Wow. Cool. <laughs> Amazing. But we'll uh, we'll have more to talk about on that once we all go see Napoleon. Ready? Uh, you're, you're exempt. Once you guys go see. Yeah, I know. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I'll but just go watch uh, before Robin we move into the Q and A portion, we do have uh, some plugs, namely one large plug, which is merch. It is uh, currently the week leading up to Black Friday at time of release. So all this week, we've got uh, a 15% off sale on almost everything in the store. Um, basically, you know, your mugs, your uh, shirts, your apparel, um, posters are, are heavily discounted as well, um, up to 25% in some cases. And we've got a brand new piece of merch, the wimpy best friend from <laughs> the, the Super, Super School video, which was an instant fan favorite. Uh, that is now merch. Uh, turn that into a design over the last weekend, as we were saying earlier. It's um, our first can... tank top design on the new shop. Yeah, first uh, tank top. If you want to hit the gym with a shirt with a crying saucer-eyed Blorbo on it saying, please be nice to me. Uh, Personally, I think you should do it. It's a power move. (laughs) Go for it, yeah. Um, And we've also got the plushies for Artemis and Apollo back in stock. Uh, Grab those while they're around, and that'll be up for the whole rest of the season. Um, And then on Friday, Black Friday, we have our pins going back up. All the usual suspects are back, including a special uh, silver and gold edition of Artemis and Apollo um, releasing uh, because they they deserve it. They're they're a best-selling pin. Everyone... Silver and gold Artemis and Apollo. And it would be cool to do. Yeah. um, So we're doing that. Uh, Those all go up on this Friday. Um, They will be up to 25% off. The more pins you buy, the more bundles, the more of a discount you get, up to 25%. And then for the rest of the holiday season, every two days, we're doing a different flash sale. Um, So it's like, ah, Hades and Persephone are on sale. Go grab them. And then two days later, something else. So keep an eye out for that. Um, We're really excited to bring those back to you because we know how much everyone likes the pins. and uh, yeah, we'll have uh, plenty of promotion on that on uh, upcoming videos and uh, social tabs and whatnot. So with yep. that said, let's hop on over to the Q&A portion of the podcast. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely, lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. This one comes from Nix Marin. To all, favorite musical motif in Stray Gods? Could be lyrical, like Lost Little Girl, or What Did I Do, That? I- what Did I Do, What Didn't I Do, or instrumental, like the Adrift Melody, or specific instruments for a given character. Um, you were all playing Stray Gods together. I haven't played the game, so I will sit back from this one. But uh, 
What's your favorite musical motif in the game? So I've been watching a handful of Austin Wintory's like breaking down all the different versions of this song you can get. And even as much as I mentioned in our detailed diatribe, there's so many more. There's so many more. <laughs> but sorry, Red, I interrupted you. What were you saying? Uh, I've only done the one playthrough. I, I have this thing where it, it's weird to me to experience other timelines of a game I was very invested in. Uh, so I haven't even looked up the other songs. Uh, <laughs> I did like Lost Little Girl. I liked how frequently it popped up. Um, I remember getting blindsided by a couple of the other leitmotifs, but now I don't remember what they were. I think I was surprised at the Adrift theme coming back as late as it did, because yeah. uh, it's the first song in the game, and mm -hmm. uh, and then it just turns up again. Uh, so I think that one's probably my account, and uh, now I'll sit back and let you guys do the hard work on this one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I adored that Adrift theme coming yeah. back. That felt that felt really earned. Uh, uh -huh. in, in the trial, you mean, at the very end? Mm -hmm. Just both that and the reprise right before the trial. Oh, true, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. too. Uh, but for me, I think, right, I mean, Austin Wintry crashed our chat, which was unbelievably <laughs> cool, Insane. and dropped, <laughs> dropped like a backing track uh, for the Medusa song, uh, mm. just to show how much was being brought to it. And... And the trial, Athena has a light mode of calling back to that. Yeah. Uh, so this sort of like extremely vocal bend uh, for this quote unquote monstrosity theme. Like yeah. Uh, yeah. that that one hit me real hard. That one's really good. I, I yeah. love Medusa's evil Betty Boop vibe. Sorry, I'm going <laughs> um, back. <it> was... <laughs> All right. <laughs> Isn't there a dialogue option you can get where? Um... Where Grace basically calls Medusa a snack. <laughs> I forget the exact wording, but it's close. Uh, yeah, I, I think I have to go for um, just instrumentally the use of the bazooki, that very classical, traditional Greek guitar-like instrument for all of Athena's um, music, as well as um, her theme, uh, the theme of another character related to her that I won't say because of spoilers. Um, there's there's three of them, um, uh, but but that use of a distinctly old instrument to convey the sense of like this is the one character who's holding on to this idea of old Olympus more than anybody else. I really like that a lot, um, and I don't know if I had like twigged onto it or if I saw the commentary track where he's like, "This is the bazooki." Actually, no. What happened was. Um, I, I was like on stream, like, is that a bazooki? Uh, and then I emailed him afterwards. I emailed Austin, like, hey, by the way, like, was there any, I emailed a couple questions, but one of them was like, is there any chance this was a bazooki? And then I listened to the commentary for the Pantheon edition of the soundtrack and like seven minutes in, he's like, oh, by the way, this is a bazooki. I'm like, fuck, I embarrassed myself. But he was very nice about it. Um, so yeah, I think that's just such a cool way to show like not only like every character gets this distinct musical trait with a different sound of an instrument associated with them but having athena have this very greek feeling like she's the only one of these characters who still knows how to speak greek you know mm. um and i i like that a lot yeah extremely cool well this next question comes from wolfheart to adam what resources do you recommend to someone who wants to learn more about ancient norse and viking stuff oh boy oh, how much time uh, do you got yeah, exactly. Um, it, it depends a lot on sort of what you are interested in and uh, how deep are you trying to go. Um, because if you're really trying to get up to like academic expertise, 
Um, the resources are very long and very thorough and $450 a volume. And there are six of them. Mm. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's probably not a great starting recommendation. Uh, but really, um, pretty much any single volume history is going to be pretty good. Uh, Neil Price has a couple of fantastic books of the Viking Way, uh, which is his first book uh, out of his doctoral thesis. And uh, Children of Ash and Elm. Ah, uh, uh, right? cute. Yeah, so that was published three years ago. Uh, and is just a really... It's long, and it's pretty dense. Um, but is a really, really good archaeology-focused uh, take on Old Norse religion and mythology. Yeah. Uh, for just a pure mythological uh, thing, Caroline Larrington has a new book that's just like a guide to the Norse gods. Uh, I think it was published like last year, year before that. Uh, so uh, Caroline Larrington is firstly lovely, uh, and secondly, uh, right, has been one of the leading scholars in the field for 30 something years at this point. Uh, so a fantastic resource. All of her knowledge over her entire career kind of distilled into this really pretty accessible intro book. Wow, so I think really cool. starting in either of those and using both of those to supplement each other. Uh, to get more of the archaeology and more of the literature kind of balancing each other is probably where I'd start if you're just trying to get in. And then, of course, once you do that, right, once you have those sort of reference documents, then you go read the originals, uh, which any translation, right, Jackson Crawford has one, Caroline Larrington has one, 500 other people have translated the prose and poetic ideas. Yeah. There's a lot of translations. Uh, if you're just reading it for fun, there's a ton of uh, public domain editions uh, from the late 1800s that are good enough. Um, they're not going to get you those lovely, lovely footnotes that mm. we need to kind of see what scholars are Make saying sense about of it. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but it's good enough for the story. Yeah, yeah. I, and that that advice I think goes for basically any field of like scholarly study, whether it's history, any different you know area in history, mythology, literature, is like if it's hard to get into do a little bit of research to find a good book that you can pick up at your library and start with that <laughs> and you'll exactly. know what you want to look into more after reading the first one <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah because like my background is actually 13th and 14th century literature not the vikings themselves uh this is terrible news for everyone who's watched assassin's creed valhalla and watched me pretend to know about the vikings themselves <laughs> um uh, but right, like the thing I found I was interested in is the history of the 1200s, which is when all the stuff starts getting written down. Mm -hmm. And so if you're like, hey, if that's really cool, well, then there's, you know, several hundred journal articles and books that you can look at to pursue that thread of interest. That's just going to be have almost no overlap with if you want to learn about like ninth century religious practice. Eventually, I'm going to do a history makers on Snorri Sturluson, and I'm I'm stealing Ooh. myself for uh, for that conversation. <laughs> uh, well, this next question comes from Rasputin's pickled dong. Too oh, red? Is Jesus. there such a thing as too much floof? No. Next question. <laughs> awesome. This next question comes from Rocknod Horneld. I'm so sorry if I'm mispronouncing any of these. Uh, Blue recently said that Romans were the jocks of history. What were the nerds, prom queens, and whatever other high school stereotypes that exist uh, of 
history. I think Jack said that, actually. <laughs> it may very well have been Jack, but regardless, it's, a, it's yeah. in here in the mix. Uh, if we're assigning Roman's jock, uh, what are the other high school stereotypes and who are they throughout history? Are the Egyptians the Goths? I think mm-hmm. they have to be. They've got the, the eyeliner. eyeliner. Yeah, they've exactly. got the eyeliner. Wigs. Yeah. They put a lot of effort into yeah. it. All the death god stuff. Feels like yeah, it's yeah. A lot of focus on death. Um, I want to say that nerds. Can I just say Sun Tzu? If you make a, a how-to book about something as jockey as fighting, um, <laughs> <laughs> that whole like it, it seems like there are so many texts about like the precise way that this 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 extremely cool macho thing must be done, and most of it is like trick them into thinking you're tougher than you are, and it's like, hey, wait a second. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> ugh. Yeah, no, China definitely can can claim nerd status pretty handily. Mm-hmm. You know no, what needs um, bureaucracy? The afterlife. True. <laughs> <laughs> well, like in like I, I think... a debate team kind of way, you know, like yeah, yeah, very. They're like high tier the... nerds, the ones yeah. that wear suits to school sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but then the right the giant uh, clique of prep kid, like the very preppy clique that can go toe to toe with the jocks, has got to be Persia then. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. yeah, Persia yeah. mega prep, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the the Greeks are like the nerds who aren't actually nerdy into like science. They're nerdy into like comic books. So like they're nerdy, mm. but like about stuff that's not as as like rigid as uh, warfare manuals, like what Sun Tzu was up to. Yeah, true, true, true. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out where Mesoamerica fits into this because Scene. I think. Scene. scene maybe but the thing is there's the very specific when i was doing all the eldorado research the one thing i kept running into is like oh they have so much wealth and they don't even see it that way so i'm like okay oblivious rich kids the ones that are like like not mean about it but are like oh i didn't get the car i wanted for my 16th birthday <laughs> and it's like oh it was boy eaten by a space snake <laughs> yeah <laughs> also um then hey on japan i think is just you know the band the uh, abandoned art kids. Oh yeah, yeah. huh? The, yeah. There's like core core politics in the Heian period is are very funny. I've been doing a lot of research for that for a thing coming up in 2024, uh, and just the artistic the amount that they are just investing everything into artistic production and very little into you know state bureaucracy. Ah, yeah, um, yeah, that fits for the band kids. Yeah. Warfare. Yeah. <laughs> anything else where is babylon fit in mesopotamian babylon needs something because they're they're distinct from from egypt they're distinct from persia um we have to carve out our own little spot for them i feel like the i feel like the city states are all homeschoolers yeah right like babylon and Uruk are different enough that you can't really link them you can't say like sumer and babylon and Uruk and assyria are all the same. Well, are they the kids can, who graduated and still hang out outside the school and sell drugs? I think the problem is like we're we're trying to fit them on a timeline when they're the OGs, you know? Yeah. They're the oh god, they're the kids that have like the pictures still put up in the principal's office of like, do not let these guys back in. <laughs> like yeah. when you want to like like in a cartoon when they want to show that the mentor used to be cool and like at their old school, <laughs> it's like these are all the hijinks I got up to when I was your age. Um, it's like that, oh, Babylon. And even then, they were talking about Gilgamesh like that. You know, the real OGs. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I think we got it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Sweet. 
this next question comes from Cookie Nook to all. What superpower would you most not want to have? Oh. Anything that turns me into like a fishman type situation <laughs> is probably on the bottom of my list, if I'm being real. Then you're the victim of a fishing mini game, which is I even don't worse. want to feel damp all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't want my skin to be dry and scaly. I think that's an, a cold take. And I don't want to be damp constantly. My hair looks so bad wet. I would be a terrible <laughs> fish man. Well, everyone's hair looks good when you're actively underwater. It's the awkward transitionary period when the hair is wet, but not with the anti-gravity All effect, of my job is functionally impossible if things are underwater. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All yeah. of it is electronic devices that require large sources of power and properly... Uh, air-based sound wave distribution. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, any one of those power sets of like, your body is now like a plant person. Uh, mm. None of that. That's literally my actual nightmare. Uh, <laughs> like, like nice, clean shape-shifting, no objections there. But like, you grow stuff out of you, absolutely not. No. Yeah. Yep. Potentially hot take, um, telepathy, especially if, like mm. telepathy that you don't have total control over. Mm, yeah. I don't really want to know what other people are thinking that yeah. much. And I'll it's be, worse if real. you start projecting your thoughts. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Nope. Yeah, that Easy one's source of character fuel. drama, but no fun for mm-hmm. anyone in that situation. And it's rough because, like, intellectually, we all know, like, judge people on their actions, not what they're thinking. But if you had constant access to their thoughts, it would be really hard to not judge them based on what they were thinking. Yeah. Yeah. What do you got, Blue? I, I feel like a lot of superpowers just end up causing problems for you Which in various you ways. Because you have to basically least, you know? decide ahead yeah. of time what suite of villains you want to have to go up against. Yeah, but like <laughs> ignoring, power ignoring the villains, but just yeah. like in what power by itself would be the one you want the least. It's not do you want to fight the Riddler, it's do you want to, you know. <laughs> um, I... Do you want to have to worry about breaking every door when you push it when it's a pole door? Oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. Do you uh, I would not want to have one of those superpowers where it's not actually a superpower. There's just a thing I own which does stuff. Like, I don't I don't uh, want to have that be, amulets. like, separable. Yeah. yeah. Or, like, an Iron Man suit or, like, I'm good Green at shooting bows. Like, yeah. Yeah. Anything where it requires maintenance. Yeah. <laughs> Anything that, if it gets stolen, you're just a regular guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, either I'm Batman and it's just me is the superpower and that's fine. Or I have superpowers, but being in the middle where it's my stuff, no, 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 no. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, that's a good one, yeah. Because then it's yeah. like, you're like, oh, I hope nobody discovers my amulet is the source of all my power. And then some <laughs> jobber villain listening in is like, the amulet, you say. It's just, it's just a whole thing. Yeah. And there's no other easy way to depower it. So it, it happens every week. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, no, my amulet, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this next question comes from Seven Cat, which for Blue and Adam, I just about lose my mind every time I see clickbait posts or videos about the sea people and who were they conspiracies. What historical mystery, quote unquote, drives you insane just by being name dropped? So in a, in a roundabout way, uh, what's your least favorite historical conspiracy or mystery? Can I weigh in? Please. Of course. Please. Roanoke. <laughs> We already know what happened with the Roanoke colony. They said, hey, we're going to Croatoan to hang out with the lovely native people. And then that's what they did. And still people are like, what happened to all these people who look like they just left one day? Did they perhaps join that group that continues to have descendants that look like white people? (laughs) Probably not, though. Yeah. Gosh, I, I try so hard to avoid engaging with 
pseudo history yeah. and pseudo archaeology. There's, I mean, God, the problem is it's just like the whole premise is just goofy. Um, obviously, right, Ancient Apocalypse, yeah. uh, Graham Hancock's Netflix series made. Uh, got such high ratings yeah. in terms of the number of people who viewed it and uh, every archaeologist under the sun um, cried about it. Milo Rossi, uh, Minute Minute Man has an excellent either three oh, or four fantastic. part series yeah. just ripping through that. He's a treasure. <laughs> exactly. And then a paper got published a few weeks ago um, that in a peer-reviewed generally like mid-impact respectable journal trying to argue that a site in Indonesia that we already know is old, like 3,500 years old, actually is a buried pyramid that's 24,000 years old. Hate that. The way they did this was <laughs> by um, radiocarbon dating some dirt that they pulled from the inside of the pyramid that they claimed was or- um, human-made organic material when it super isn't. Mm. Yeah, and it turns nice. out that the dirt, the dirt that the hill is made out of, is twenty-four thousand years old. That's so crazy! Everyone knows dirt was invented six thousand years ago by Jesus. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, the the ancient aliens, ancient apocalypse stuff is just so insulting, just yeah. on the face of it. Anything and that's, that's why like about the pyramids, just immediate red flags, because it's implicit in it is the idea that there's no way that the people who built these could have actually built them and it's like oh why why is that why do you think that why do you say that is <laughs> and it's like uh-huh. it's it, it takes the seed of like ancient peoples from like wildly prehistoric times are much more interesting than we normally give them credit for mm-hmm. correct that is not because they were a globe-spanning late ice age civilization that was funded by aliens <laughs> oh <laughs> For yeah, me, the, uh, the one that, that absolutely makes my blood boil is, I think I might have talked about this, but the Phantom Time oh, idea. I love it. Wait, what? It's, so, it's so funny. This Dish. is after the fall of Rome. It's like the years like 670 to like 892 were like all made up. or Those aren't the actual years, <laughs> oh, but like, no, like 400 years of this. time are made up so that mm-hmm. um, King like Otto of Germany, the Byzantine emperor, and like some other guy, the Pope, um, could all some be like, guy. we oh, were yeah, in charge Pope. in the year 1000 and just invented 400 years of bullshit to make it fit, which is so just categorically dismissive and rude and... I'll get there in a second, straight up fucking racist, um, <laughs> against all of the other people who were just, like, living their lives and having culture in that span of time. And it's it's dismissive and, like, shitty enough to be like, ah, yes, medieval Europe was stupid and boring, and there's nothing actually that happened. There's actually a lot of stuff that happened, but, like, fuck it, whatever. And then there's just, like, the entirety of Islamic civilization that was flourishing during that time. Like, everywhere east of that as well, like, mm-hmm. in China, China, a bunch of African civilizations, too. Yeah. It's like yeah. phantom time, because Rome fell, <laughs> and then there's all this other stuff, and therefore... Uh, the middle of it was nothing. So it was 400 years that were invented is just so, it's so dismissive and shitty and I absolutely hate it. <laughs> also, doesn't it fall it, apart the minute you start doing like carbon yes! and can get yes. an actual numerical number of years? It's like, wow, that's crazy. This lines up with the historical records for when this thing happened. Nuh-uh, you have to subtract 400 because somebody on TikTok told me to. Yep. Uh, um, no, it's it's so incredibly easily disprovable. Um 
But if we're going to talk about that, right, my favorite dumb one oh, no. is, of course, the Great Tartaria Mud Floods, which oh, wow. are a whole thing, are, are just... What? Basically, the idea that there are 16th century maps that label Central Asia as Tartaria, uh, just like Greater Tartaria. So this place where, you know, a group of people that are known as the Tatars live. Uh -huh. um, th there is, coming out of uh, Pomenko, a fraudulent right, late Soviet historian um, who just invents stuff, um, the idea that there is that the Tartaria mentioned on 16th and 17th century European maps is actually a um, Central Asia, like Mongol equivalent sized empire that's a rival state to the Mongols and Russia, and that there's a big giant war in the early 20th century that uh, is trying to obliterate them. It's extremely funny. I've got a good friend uh, who is has caused a schism in the conspiracy theory community who Ooh. believe this one uh, because of his um, being able to persuasively shitpost about it. It is <laughs> the funniest thing. That's good. Boy. <laughs> wow. uh, con conspiracy theories in general are just wild. And right, one of my other friends, Dr. Bill Farley, has a great point of just, it just fundamentally right believes that pre-modern or any historical people can't be interesting in their own right. Yeah. But there must be something else that makes them interesting. And that's just like, these. a lot of the sites are already incredibly cool. Yeah. We don't need to make them cooler. I think They're just cool. I mean, I think it would be disingenuous to ignore the obvious undercurrent of, it's okay when it's my group of people who has a cool, rich, interesting history of building cool megastructures, but those guys over there... I can barely believe that they knew how to tie their bootlaces before last week. Ha ha ha. And, you know, if you, you tie that in, which is blatantly like it's xenophobia, it's racism, it's it's a bunch of other stuff. And it's mm -hmm. like, I'm willing to believe that there are cool people out there somewhere, a lost civilization or aliens or whatever, cool people who could have left their mark on this world, but not the ancestors of those guys over there, because that's got nothing to do with me. <laughs> like, like it's okay if all the cool stuff came from an entirely outside context thing. Like, oh, what if there was, you know, an Atlantis or something? Or what if there were aliens that were helping out? But it, if it's somebody else's, like, history and cultural legacy, and it's cool, and you think it's cool, it's like, well, how can I make this about me, though? <laughs> or how can I at least take it away from them? <laughs> I don't know. It this, drives me uh, up the wall. Portugal did that in... Um in like the 1600s with uh, Great Zimbabwe. I, I touch uh. on it in my video on them uh, earlier this year. And it, of course it gets it gets picked up later by um, mm -hmm. by the, uh, the the various other settlers who came in. It was like, oh, well, well they can't have this. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's a whole thing and it keeps yeah. happening. Yep. Uh, well, this next question comes from Mr. J. To all, what mythological food would you most want to try? Ambrosia, Thor's goats, immortality peaches, etc. Immortality peaches. I was going to say the peaches, peaches too, just because that's got to be like the most insane peach cobbler of your life, right? Yeah, but yeah. also like yeah. the most fun of the ways that some became immortal, you know? Like the, the pills, probably not all that great. Um, getting uh, put in the kiln and baked for a while, not super fun either. Peaches, though, hell yeah. Pretty good. 
I like conceptually, I like the idea of ambrosia because I don't really have any concept of what it could taste like. But it, then also, I'm like, but it's kind of just honey, right? Like in my mind, I'm like, that's like mead is, is mm. what they're drinking up there. Yeah. Uh, which I don't know if that's accurate. That's just what young indigo always assumed. Ambrosia is the food. Nectar's the drink. Nectar would probably be honey. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I would love to try Odin's mead, though. That would be fun. Just get, like, blasted off my ass and be amazing at poetry forever. <laughs> it is made of a dead guy, but, you know, ah, Norse mythology's done weirder stuff. We took a little bit of a dead guy and put him in this huge thing of regular mead and then took a drop of that and put it in a larger oh, thing of regular... Oh, okay. <laughs> it's dead we're guy hom- homeopathy. <laughs> right, we're, we're homeopathying the dead guy. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, God, there's a... Nope, nope, we're not... We're not going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> how how diluted would the dead guy have to be before you became comfortable with it? I forgot what stream this was on, but I was making a joke about that, and all the comments are like, "Blue's a homeopath." I'm like, "No, I'm not. It's stupid." He's like, "That's exactly what a homeopath would say." Getting into uh, dangerous territory. <laughs> also, on my time travel to eat mummies. Oh yeah, eat mummies oh, yeah. in the 1800s. They did do that back in the day. Yeah, God, yeah. Victorians will really be wild out here. <laughs> they sure were. <laughs> yeah, no wonder they were so like weird. They were all getting blasted on mummy dust. Hadn't they also mm. just discovered pure oxygen, and they were like, "Whoa, this shit's crazy, man! <laughs> yep. Purified air." This was before like absinthe fell out of style too. Let's not ignore. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Have you guys ever had absinthe? No. Yeah. Oh my Isn't god! Isn't it illegal? It's so fun. Well, it's illegal here, but if you go to Istanbul, it's fine. <laughs> oh, is that what? It's what? illegal here? Yeah. I, I, think, I, I, I think making it with wormwood it's... is illegal here. Oh, okay. uh, but uh, you can have the non-hallucinogenic stuff, and it's called absinthe. It just doesn't do any of the fun stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, so maybe that I had the, the, the fine kind, but I had oh, it in Istanbul oh, a handful okay. of years back. It, you know what? Fuck it. It's too long of a story, but it was super fun. <laughs> well, this next question comes from Wolfheart2, Blue, and Adam. Are there any historical pieces of media other than video games that you've enjoyed and would recommend movies, TV, books, etc.? I have a love-hate relationship with HBO's Rome, where I really like <laughs> the way that they depict the aesthetics of the civilization, but I really hate how they show the politics because as soon as like things started to go downhill with the way they portrayed Cleopatra, I'm like, okay, I'm not a fan of this. And then Augustus just straight up fucks his sister, and I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> Goodbye. I don't want to watch the last episode of this. That's fine. So I was like, this is really cool. And then just as time went on, I'm like, I like this less and less. <laughs> yeah. Um, certainly for my period, there's like nothing that I completely wholeheartedly recommend. Um, honestly, probably it's like a lot of Terry Jones stuff. Um, Eric the Viking. Uh, Monty Python of the Holy Grail. Mm. <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, that does not take itself remotely seriously. It doesn't actually try to be, you know, uh, high fidelity to the aesthetics. I instead get at something more, more interesting uh, and more ephemeral about the historical space they're doing. I don't, I'd almost put like Blazing Saddles in this too, where it's getting at something very real and doing it in a way that is very dark and very funny at the same time. Uh, if we can recommend things that are set in a historical period, but are not like a historical biopic or whatever, uh, Blue Eye Samurai on Netflix, oh, yeah. set in period Japan. <laughs> That's really cool. People should watch yeah. it so they make a season two. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 I really like it. I feel like it. there is something to that idea of like, 
something is not necessarily attempting to be a work of historical fiction or like to be an educational text but just kind of by the nature of what it's doing is actually inadvertently like the best at the thing it's like i think about it in terms of like literature like romeo plus juliet the Baz Luhrmann version is one of the most text accurate line reads of romeo plus juliet put to screen yeah um it's not like visually based on anything shakespeare necessarily wrote but it ends <laughs> up being a great way to transport the story and i think a lot is of that... historical stuff can fall into a similar yeah ad- space yeah. of adaptation is that the one where mercutio wears heelys just to make sure i have it right in my head uh i mean that's the one with all the hawaiian shirts and i like, think that's the one it's, where he it's has romeo heelys. and juliet miami yeah. vice edition when he does the by my heel i care not you can see there's a wheel on there so yeah um okay. there's so the heel <laughs> tybalt has the heel that's like that crazy is like a cat and he has a little cat sound effect that plays in every show that yeah. is one of my all-time favorite movies i love it dearly we do not have time for me to defend it on this podcast <laughs> yeah. tune in the after after show show to <laughs> <laughs> don't tempt me with a good time <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the only caveat i'd say for the uh idea of right the ones who are playing with the period in this really extravagant way is they have to really know their stuff mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. not necessarily super known fact terry jones was a medievalist he gave a keynote at the International Medieval Congress at Leeds in the 80s on Chaucer that was received extremely well. Damn. <laughs> yeah, the man, the man genuinely, like, seriously knew his stuff when he was playing with it and wrote a lot of jokes in Holy Grail, but a lot of jokes uh, in some of his other stuff, like Eric the Viking, around that, uh, really cool. his very genuine knowledge base. So, as with all things, know the rules first, and then you can break them to make a point. Yeah, like in Blue Eye Samurai, mm-hmm. they fully killed the Shogun in the Great Fire of 1657, and that didn't happen. I checked it's Wikipedia. It's fine. Though. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried about it. I, I, about, I assume. I'm, I'm curious to watch Blue Eye Samurai, but I get the feeling it's it's like one of those pieces of media, like with the ones Adam were talking about, where it's not necessarily trying to take you through like the events as documented, but it's just like it's a vibes conveyor. It's like well, here's the vibes of this setting. But that's the thing. It is an accurate (laughs) vibes conveyor as far as I can tell because it's set in Edo period Japan. And the thing is, like, if you just go by the vibe of, like, oh, there's, like, samurai and stuff, like, that's, you know, whatever. But, like, there's there's a lot that's being made of, like... This is the limitation of an, a woman's role in society. You know, we've got the main character and she's kind of doing her own thing. But we've also got this like princess character who's basically like, am I going to try to run away from this political marriage or am I going to try and find a way to make this work for me? Like that kind of thing. The stuff about her like blackening her teeth to show that she's a wife is like a major part of the, the visual symbolism of her arc. And that's something that doesn't get put in the vibes of Edo Puri Japan because the modern sentiment of bright white teeth is this, the symbol of beauty kind of makes that feel weird and icky. So people leave it out when they just want to do vibes of convenience. So anyway, uh, I recommend mm-hmm. it. I think it's uh, it's fun. Yeah. No, that's fair. Vibes yeah. was definitely not the uh, the, <laughs> the, the right There's... word. It's, 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 more, it's, it's more than that. Yeah, I think we're, we're coming up with time for the show. We got time for one last question here. So we'll move on to the last one before we uh, sign off. But this one comes from Delius. To all, you are now a teacher in a super school. What is your absurdly niche fantasy subject? that you teach? What is your teacher perk to make you more than just an exposition fountain? What is your secret most students don't know? And what's your pass-fail gimmick? So basically, insert yourself into a uh, super secret school for super special people and tell us what you teach and what your deal is. Oh, that's so fun. Um, 
Man. Um, I was a TA when I was in college. Like I did sort of, I was a teacher's assistant. I did a lot of uh, pop bopping around, but I was specifically a TA for a motion picture editing course. So a lot of what I was doing was sitting in a room, uh, troubleshooting avid media composer. And I think that there is something in the <laughs> not being the professor, but being the like assistant to the person who is some like grand hero of days gone by, who's just mm-hmm. sort of like tinkering with a magic wand or whatever in the background. Um, so I, I don't know that I would necessarily want to be the super secret teacher but being a super secret teacher's assistant at a fantasy school could be very funny yeah yeah honestly uh, the person in the deepest basement with the most computer hookups is probably yeah. the person who like gets hooked into the plot anyway so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, i'd probably be like uh i mean obviously a history teacher but mm-hmm. uh probably like i don't know if this is a magic super school right the incredibly like niche history of prior ma- understandings of magic that <laughs> fully are not relevant to everyone and um, probably exist mostly for the plot for the um, main cast to be like, wow, I don't understand any of this. Why are we bothering? This is neither cool nor adventurous. <laughs> and then 20 years later, we're going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I kind of jumping off of my answer to the um, to the the superhero thing of like not wanting to be a superhero where you are dependent on like an item. Mm-hmm. I would be the teacher who's like, look, whatever superhero or like super gimmick that we've got here, uh, like magic or powers or whatever. Like if if your like powers break or you lose your wand or whatever the fuck gimmick it is, here's how you actually fight in a combat scenario. We're gonna go through swords, we're gonna go through regular uh, weapons training, how any item you find in a room can be a weapon if you try hard enough. And that's basically my gimmick. So then, of course, similarly to Adam, like in in the actual classes, it's like, why do I have to do this? We have powers. And then in the like, you know, Dark Knight of the Soul arc where the villain has the no magic button that they push and it's like, haha, you see, without your cushy, privileged powers that you have you are nothing and then they'd like take out a sword and villains like oh fuck um that's <laughs> that's when they're like thanks professor Blue. one of them's like thumb on the outside <laughs> socks him right in the nose <laughs> um, yeah. i in terms of like the the amount of work i would have to do versus how much fun i would get to have as a teacher i want to be whoever's in charge of the field trips they all get mm. attacked by super villains but i don't care you know you're like the homeroom teacher you know you have to tag along on the adventures to, or, like, or maybe supervise. it's like maybe i'm like off like normally i like manage the gym classes or i'm like the secondary art teacher or like i i like move the supplies around but whenever they do the field trip it's like all right who's good at actually wrangling the kids out in the field all right let's get her on here um uh and i i think like full superhero school you know school of adventure that kind of thing um i think the the dark secret has to be that there's some kind of like nemesis thing going with some recurring villain that keeps Mm -hmm. attacking field trips uh that seems like the easiest least uh least like inherently dramatic way for me to deal with that thing uh, because it just means that I get to have a bunch of cool fights and the kids get to not be in danger as much, uh, which is, Excellent. you know, the important part. 
<laughs> I forgot about the dark secret. Maybe my dark secret is that I don't have powers. I was so going to say, that's the, yeah. 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 yeah, it's like you, you have like eight different like magical weapons. Actually, I think that could be a funny thing. Like you don't have powers, but you have like four different things that give you powers on your person at all times. It's like the Green Lantern ring, the magic amulet, there's the magic sword. Like they have to completely disarm. You yeah, know? maybe I'll lose one, but good luck getting all four. It's like you forgot about the sacred contact lenses of Amun-Ra. It's like, oh no. <laughs> Uh, and this is a regular gun. <laughs> I think like the students are like taking bets on like what your power set is because like you've got so many like random weird abilities. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I swear yeah. I saw him control snakes when we were at the museum the other week. <laughs> it's like why were there snakes at the museum? Uh, just don't ask. Yeah. Yeah, we're sort of just reverse engineering Sky High a little bit. Um, mm. I and do think people were like, "Why didn't you bring up Sky High in the oh, in the video?" Because I forgot to watch it. It was on oh, my list, red, and I didn't do red, it. Red. I was so busy. <laughs> Comments for the algorithm, baby. <laughs> um, I think the dark secret for me just has to be that I exist. Like, I think it'd be very funny if they're like, "No, there's like this helper AI or this like helper robot that you could go to to like troubleshoot Ooh. your shit." And but actually, it's just me in a basement. <laughs> and like, the secret is you find out that AI if you typos? ask enough. Like, if you ask enough questions to the robot, eventually, like, you've reached... It's like those um chatbots that pop up on the side of, like, shopping websites and stuff where it can be like, mm-hmm. how can we help you today? And it's got, like, the preset responses. And if you go far enough, it will just direct you to a real person. If you just put in enough things into the robot that, like, troubleshoots your stuff in class, eventually it will just send you to the basement to hang out with Indigo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm imagining a scenario where it's our school. Like, what was that? I'd attend our school. I would. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Imagine a scenario where, like, not the wimpy best friend, um, but, like, one of the, either the protagonist or, like, another character is just, like, idly in the middle of class, like, clicking through the chatbot to be like, there has to be an end to this, right? And eventually it's, like, you you get the pop-up of, like, do you need, like, help with something else? And, like, they see through, like, oh, my God, there's a person here. And then they go on a quest and eventually end up finding you. Yeah. And, of course, it's, like, the most perilous. Like, they're in the sub-sub basement. There's so many defense systems down there because it's technically a potential route of invasion. And they're, like, dodging mm-hmm. lasers and shit. And then they open the door and it's just you with, like, cup ramen. Like, can I help you? <laughs> no one's ever shown up for my office hours before. <laughs> yeah. All right. Are you with class 1A or 1B? Those are the only ones we have the budget for this season. <laughs> Are you um, okay? You've been stuck. You, you, there are so many traps down here. Are you like trapped or something? No. No. Congratulations! You made it to sub basement four. You won uh, one piece of candy from this bowl. <laughs> well, they installed more lasers since the last time I left. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I think we're coming up on time for the podcast. So with that, uh, Red, have you learned your lesson? Are you ready to take us out? Well, I need to. I'm the teacher on it. Why would I need to learn my lesson? <laughs> well, then teach us something, like how to do the outro for this podcast. All right, kids, I hope you're paying attention. This is how a real hero wins. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another exciting episode. That one's going to be weirder than average, I think, uh, in terms of the circumstances in which we're recording it. Yeah. Um, We don't have much else going on. Uh, Black Friday sale, check those out if you are. Merch! Yes, merch <laughs> and such. Uh, and if you're excited for pins, they'll be back in a couple days after time of uh, upload, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if you want to, and you're a patron, or you want to become a patron, stick around. We got another half hour of shenanigans in us. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's about, about all we got. Juliet, and I'm gonna hold him to it. I'm excited. Uh, I know nothing about this movie, so, so until next time, I've been Red. I've been Blue, and Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. Hell yeah. And this has been an overly sarcastic podcast. Teacher, can I go to the bathroom? You should have gone before the field trip or the supervillain attack. (laughs) Are we there yet?
Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on December 6th with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform, and if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and our guest Adam, aka Ludo History's content, can be found in the show notes below.